Good morning. If you open to your Bible to 1 John 5, and join me in the reading of the scripture. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, he is a true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's spend some time now praying to the Lord and asking for his help. Our God and Father, I was just remembering that almost 24 hours ago to the minute I was driving my truck around this building praying for this morning, asking you to work among your people, to speak through your word, to glorify your Son, Jesus Christ, to minister to us by your Spirit, to inform our minds, to renew our minds, and teach us to apply your wisdom to life. And Father, 24 hours later, my prayer has not changed. I pray that you would come now and work among us through your Son, through your Spirit, through your Word. Teach us, Father, what it means to follow you. Teach us what it means to know you. Teach us what it means to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Oh, Father, make us people who live our lives to glorify your name and bear much fruit in this world. Lord, Life is so fleeting. It really is like a vapor. It really is like a blade of grass that just comes and goes. It's here today, gone tomorrow. But you've given us life today. And so I pray that you would speak clearly to us, Father. I pray that you would help me as I deliver what's on my heart. But Father, more so, I'm asking you by your Spirit to speak clearly to each person in this room. And I pray that you would work among us, Father, for every believer Please make a difference in our lives and for every person in this room who's not yet at a place where they believe in Jesus Christ, I pray that you'd help them today to see who you truly are. I pray that you'd reveal yourself to them and I pray that today would be the the day of salvation for some who are in this room right now. Father, for what you will do and for how you will do it, we give you our thanks and praise now in the great and gracious name of Jesus Christ, amen. What we know determines how we live. And when our life contradicts the things that we know, our knowledge serves as a corrective to our behavior to get us back in line. So what we know determines how we live. And when we get out of line, our knowledge is designed by God to serve as a a corrective to our behavior. So let me give you an everyday example. When we work for someone, we also represent their company. And with this knowledge in mind, we know that our job is not only to do our job, but our job is to be a a representative of that company. We are laborers and we are representatives. It is our job to bring honor to the name of our company and to invent their purposes. If we have problems with the company, we either deal with those things in private or we move along. But as long as we're wearing the garb of that company, our job is not only to do our job, but to serve as a representative for that company. This is the knowledge we have. This is what we know. We are laborers. We are representatives. That said, we all have our moments, don't we? And probably like me, you at times have spoken 
in certain ways and done certain things that bring dishonor to your boss and bring dishonor to those who are over you and bring dishonor to your company at large. When you're reminded of that fact, that you are a laborer and a representative of the company and that your words and your actions are not in accordance with what you've been hired to do, then the idea is that you're supposed to admit your wrongdoing and straighten up. And if you don't straighten up, you're either going to end up resigning, and maybe you have good reasons to do that, but if you don't get in line, you're either going to resign or you're going to be fired. But the point I'm trying to make is that the knowledge you have about who you are in the context of that company is supposed to determine how you live, how you operate. And when your actions get out of line, that knowledge is supposed to work as a corrective to, to, to straighten things out. God himself has designed knowledge to work this way. If I could put it in more biblical terms, transformation begins with persuasion. Transformation begins with a change of mind. Life change begins with mind change. This is why the Apostle Paul wrote these famous words, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. He said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Yes, laying your entire life before God is your spiritual worship. It is a, a good thing to come together and sing. In fact, my heart wishes we could double, triple the time of singing at our church. Oh, how I would love to sing and sing and sing. In fact, earlier as we were sitting there, I was thinking of Ethan Larson, who's over in Ethiopia, thinking that he's probably done with church by now. He probably preached at some church in Ethiopia. And then I thought, well, they are in Ethiopia. Church might still be going on over there. I don't know. That would delight my heart. But I will tell you, the greater part of worship is laying our lives before the Lord, not just singing songs to Him. This is what our spiritual worship is about. So Paul says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't let your mind be shaped into the, the mold of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind. Transformation begins with persuasion. Life change begins with mind change. And as our mind gets in accord with the will and the ways of God, then we can discern what His will is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Those are the words of the Apostle Paul. If the Apostle John was at church with us today, we would have just heard him say out loud, Amen. I'm just sure of it. Because like Paul, John knew that what we know determines how we live. He knew this for a fact. He knew that this is the way God has designed things, and this is why he chose to end his letter with three we know statements. In verses 18, verses 19, verses 20. You can look at the beginning of each of those verses, you'll see, we know, we know, we know. John is trying to help us remember what we know so that we'll live in a certain way. And then he ends his letter with the exhortation in verse 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. So this week we're going to look at each of the three we know statements by addressing three questions about each of them. We're going to ask the question of each verse, what do we know? Second, why does it matter? And are we living in light of what we know? What do we know? Why does it matter? Are we living in light of what we know? And then next week, we'll close out our time in 1 John by considering his final exhortation. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Or the way I hear that, little children, live by what you know. Let your knowledge guide your life. 
Let your mind change, create life change. Establish the true worship of the true and eternal God in your life. We'll talk about that next week. But I just want us to see that verses 18 through 20 are are intimately related, uh, through 21 I mean, are intimately related to one another. So with that, let's begin with verse 18. John writes, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Now, I do want to be clear that John is writing to people who believe in Jesus Christ. What he says has implications for people who aren't yet in a place in their lives where they believe, but he is writing this letter in a particularly particularly the conclusion in his target, in his sights, are people who believe in Jesus. He is speaking to us. And for those who believe in Jesus, we need to really think about what is it that he says we know. Well, here's what he says we know. We who believe know that every person who has been born of God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, we do not live a life that's characterized by sin. And we also know that the reason our lives are no longer characterized by sin is because of what Jesus is doing for us, not because of what we're doing for Jesus. Look at what he says. He says, he who is born of God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, he's protecting us. He's the one keeping us. He's the one guarding us. He is the one keeping us safe from the designs of, of the devil. This we know. The people who truly believe and have been born of God through faith in Christ do not live lives characterized by sin because of what Jesus is doing for us and in us. Now we know that John is not saying that believers are incapable of committing any sins. We've seen this time and time again through 1 John. In chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, he actually says that if we deny that we have sin that we deceive ourselves and we make God out to be a liar because we're saying something different than what God is saying. John is not trying to suggest that believing people don't continue to struggle with sin. He's simply saying that we cannot continue to live in sin and be at peace. This cannot be our lifestyle if we're truly born of God because God's seed, the Lord Jesus Christ, is abiding in us, breeding life in us. And you'll remember from chapter 2 that he says, little children, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. John's aim in writing and Jesus' goal in our lives is to get us free from the rebellion against God that we call sin. But then he said in verse 2, but listen, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate before God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. He made the sacrifice for your sins and on the basis of your atonement, of, of the atonement that he made, All we have to do is ask for forgiveness. And if we will simply turn to God and say, I've realized that I have sinned, will you please forgive me? Through Jesus Christ, he will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. That is a biblical promise. John is not suggesting that Christian people cannot commit sins, but he is saying that we cannot continue in sin and be at peace with it. This morning as I was downstairs praying for our time together, I was thinking about the fact that there are certain sins that I committed before I was in Christ that I committed the same exact sin after I knew Christ. And to me, the sin after I knew Christ is much worse than the one that I committed before Christ. But the huge difference between these two things is before I knew Jesus, I committed that sin in peace because I didn't really care. And maybe something inside of my heart knew better, but I didn't really know. I didn't really know. I did not know. 
But when I sin in Jesus, I simply can't sin and have the same kind of joy that I used to get out of it because I know that it's not only violating some rule, but that it's breaking my Savior's heart. That I'm violating everything he did for me. This shatters my heart because I'm breaking his heart. I can't be at peace with that. Do believers struggle with sin? Uh, Yeah, yes, we struggle with sin. But it's fundamentally different for us because Jesus is at work in our lives trying to root out of us rebellion against God. Jesus is at work helping us to come to the place where the love of God overwhelms our desire to indulge our flesh so that we obey God from the heart and not just because we're obeying rules. This is his design in our lives. And Philippians 1, 6, one of the most hopeful promises in the whole Bible, he who began this good work in us is gonna do what? He's gonna complete it, right? All the way to the day of Christ Jesus. It's about what he's doing in us, not about what we're doing for him. This is the life of a Christian. This we know. We cannot be caught in sin because Jesus is protecting us. Jesus is the one that is working in us and he's going to finish this work. Beloved, our hope for overcoming the world is not in our own desire to overcome. Our hope for overcoming the world is not in our own strength or discipline to overcome. And thanks be to God, because I don't know about you, I'm a fairly disciplined person, but boy, do I have my seasons where the wheels just seem to come off. And if my hope is in my discipline, I'm toast. And I really mean that. I'm done. I will never stay in Christ if that's where my hope lies. But praise be to God, our hope lies in this, that Jesus is protecting us. That's where our hope lies, in what he has done and in what he does, in the atonement and in his protecting ministry. So let's talk about this word protect for a second. That word protect, it more literally means to keep something or to guard it. And it's used, I think, about 16 times in the gospel and in the letters of John. And I looked all those times up this week. I looked up every occurrence and sort of tried to understand what each text was about. Most of the occurrences actually have to do with us keeping the commands of God. Like when Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. You will guard my commands. You will protect my commands. They will be precious to you. They will be valuable to you. If you love me, you're going to love what I have to say. If you value me, you're going to value my wisdom. If you care to follow me, you're going to care to live by the things that I have told you that life is about and what your life ought to be about. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. A couple times the word is used of Jesus keeping the Father's commandments, and we know that he did this perfectly from his heart so that he only said what his Father gave him to say. He only did what his Father gave him to do. Oh, what a free and joyful and fruitful way of life that was. And then four times this word is used to talk about God's keeping power over us. And this is one of them. This is one of the four times. The other three times are in the Gospel of John. But as I put all these verses together in my mind, I came to this simple conclusion that I'm pretty sure I put up on the PowerPoint. Jesus keeps us so that we can keep his word. Jesus protects us so that we can prosper in his ways. Jesus causes us to persevere so that we might pursue holiness by his grace, by his power, by his atonement, and by his anointing that he has given to us. And because he is keeping us, John is bold to say that the evil one cannot touch us. He can tempt us for sure. He can harass us. 
He can bring a measure of harm, but he cannot ultimately touch us, or more literally, that word means to take hold of, to grasp on, to take control of you. He cannot. Let me put it to you this way. Satan cannot undo the atonement that marks our lives. Satan cannot remove the anointing of the Holy Spirit that God has granted us through our Lord Jesus Christ. He cannot penetrate these things. He cannot. If he was able to stop what Jesus did on the cross, he'd be able to snatch us out of the the, the Father's hands. But he cannot. He cannot. Can he harass us? I would say so. Can he even bring a a measure of harm to us? Yes. Can he catch us in a trap to some extent? Yes. But he cannot hold on to us, beloved. We belong to another. And our Father is stronger than all, and nobody can snatch us out of our Father's hands. Period. And end of story. So what do we know? What do believers know? What is the knowledge that's supposed to guide our lives? We know that we are born of God by faith in Jesus And that we cannot live a life of sin because Jesus is at work in our lives. He's protecting us so that we can prosper in his ways. He's keeping us so that we can keep his word. He's helping us so that we will move from being rebellious people to being glad-hearted, submissive, obedient children of our Heavenly Father. That's what we know. This is God's desire, this is God's design, this is God's purpose, this is God's promise for us. So with that in mind, let's talk about the second question, why does that matter? If you really know that, what difference is this going to make in your daily life? What is it designed to do in life? As I've pointed out a few times, John is not writing his letter just so that people can reach intellectual conclusions about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He's writing his letter to shepherd people. He wants us to live a a certain way of life. So why does this knowledge matter? What is John up to? Well, this knowledge matters because we know that God's good desire for us is for us to live by faith in Jesus, if I could put it that way. To keep his word is simply to live by faith. To keep his word is to listen to what he has to say and believe it. To keep his word is to trust what he has to say and apply it. That's what it means to live by faith. We listen, we learn, we walk in his power and by his grace. The the effect of this knowledge in our lives is that we move out of the ways of the world, out of the ways of the flesh, and we begin to learn what it means to live by faith. That's the power of this knowledge. So let's say right now that you're facing a financial crisis, and maybe that would be stressful to someone else or not, but for you it's very stressful. And let's say that you search your heart before God, you open up the Bible, you pray, and through his word, through his spirit, and maybe through a friend or two that you've talked to about your situation, you realize that the reason you're so stressed is because you're depending upon yourself and you're not depending on the Lord. You realize that you are thinking that you are your provider when the Bible says God is your provider. You're thinking that you're responsible to solve all your problems when the truth is God has called you to play a part, but that he's the one that bears the burden of your problems. You have taken your eyes off of him and put them onto yourself. Now I want to be clear with you, that is sin. And the reason that sin is because we put ourselves in the place of God. 
And when we put ourselves in the place of God, the biblical word for that is idolatry. We make an idol of ourselves. We become independent, self-dependent. Self-dependence is sin, beloved. Self-dependence is idolatry. It's something that we have to walk away from. And the reason, by the way, it's so stressful when you try to play God's part is newsflash, you're not God. And you weren't created to be God. Newsflash number two, I think after walking with the Lord for 33 years, sometimes he manufactures financial crises in my life so that I'll learn to have peace and depend upon him. I really believe that. I believe that sometimes God allows the coverage to go bare so that I can learn the truth of this fact that man lives not by bread and water, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. God is at work in our lives in the midst of our financial crises. He knows what he's doing. And so you realize that you put your hope in the wrong place. Jesus then helps you by his spirit to see that you can trust him, that you can depend upon him. He helps to build your faith. Maybe he brings you back to Matthew 6 that Kevin preached a few weeks back. And you remember that God cares for flowers and fields that nobody even sees. He cares for birds in the air that nobody even knows about. And that he's much, much more going to care for you. Because of what he has done for you on the cross and because of what he does for you by protecting you day by day, he is going to prove himself to be your provider. I'm just remembering a time years ago, many years ago, I was very stressed out by a financial situation. And I remember at the end of the situation writing in my journal, today God showed me not just that he is the provider, but that he's my provider. He showed me that he provides for me, not just for his people in some general sense. God used a financial crisis to build my faith. And maybe, maybe that's what God would do for you. This is the power that the knowledge we have from verse 18 is designed to have in our lives. We learn to live by faith. And when we see that our way of life is out of step with what God wants us to do, namely to live by faith, then that knowledge serves to correct our behavior. It serves to put our eyes on the right place. This is what God has designed. And so now let's look at the third question. Are we living by what we know? If that's what we know, and if that's why, why it matters, are we living by what we know? If you search your heart this morning as a believing person and you answer yes, that you are living by the light of that knowledge, then I want to say, first of all, praise be to God. And second of all, keep on pressing on in the things of Christ. If things are going well for you in living by faith, then again, praise be to God and keep pressing on. Keep stoking the fires of your faith. Keep delighting in the word of your Father every day. Let him guide you by his wisdom. Let him in instruct you in his ways. Let him cause you to bear fruit by childlike obedience as you look to him and follow him by his grace and power. On the basis of who he is, on the basis of what he has done on the cross, and on the basis of what he does in protecting you, then look to him, depend upon him alone, and keep his word by his grace and power. Keep on pressing on. That's my word to you. If you believe in Jesus Christ, but after searching your heart, you have to answer no, that right now, at least, you're really not living by the light of the wisdom of 1 John 5, 18, then my counsel to you is to seek the Lord specifically through 1 John 1, 8 through 2, 2. I want to encourage you to go there and read those verses very carefully and remember what Jesus Christ has done for you. 
If you realize that you are sinning the sin of putting yourself in God's place and living life on your power and on your terms, there is a solution for this, and that is to turn to God, confess that as sin, and then freely receive his lavish grace. He promised already that he would forgive you and cleanse you from all righteousness. So brother or sister, I'm telling you, if God's convicting you even now that you're living in sin by not living by his word, then turn to him right this moment. You don't have to wait till the end of the service. Turn to him right now. Bow your heart. If you have to, bow your body before him. But confess your sin to him and receive his grace. And when he works in your life, then simply do this. Surrender to him. Depend upon him and keep his word by his grace and power. Perhaps you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus and you have to answer no to this because you don't even believe in Jesus. Of course, you're not living in the light of this wisdom because you don't even believe that this wisdom is truly coming from God or wherever your heart is at. But let's say that in hearing uh, the word of God preached today and in being in the place where people, God's people are singing his praise today, that you've come to want what Jesus provides for those who do believe in him. If that's your heart today, if right now you don't believe but you want to believe, then my encouragement to you is very simple, believe. And Jesus promises us that if we will simply put our faith in him, he will give us eternal life. This is coming not from me, this is coming from the lips of Jesus Christ himself. Let me just read a couple things that Jesus said. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not believe in the Son shall not see life. And again, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my words and believes in him, God who sent me will give him eternal life. This is the promise of Jesus Christ, that if you will simply believe, you will have life. And if you pray that prayer and he gives you life, then join us in surrendering to Christ, depending upon Christ alone, and walking by his grace and power in the light of his word. Let's look now at verse 19 and see what John has to say there. John continues, we know, secondly, that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So according to this verse, what is it that believers know? We know that we who believe in Jesus are from God. What this means is that we have been born of God through faith in Jesus Christ. This is our origin. This is our identity. This is who we are. By the grace of God, beloved, we who believe in Jesus actually know who we are. We know where we come from, we know where we're going, we know our destiny, and we know our identity. And of all the things that we cannot know about ourselves, what's more, or that we can know about ourselves, what's more important than this? What is more important than us knowing who we truly are? So many problems in people's lives come from not really knowing what their identity is. So many struggles, so many sins, so many pains, so many difficulties just come from not having any idea who they really are. But through Jesus Christ, we actually know who we are. We are people who have been born of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. This is who we are. The second thing in this verse that John says we know is that the world is not like us at all. In this verse, the word world, by the way, in the Bible can mean different things, but in this verse, I think it's referring to all unbelievers. Think of every unbeliever on this earth and throughout history, that's what this, wor this word is referring to here. And what we know about them is that all unbelievers lie in the power of the evil one. Please notice that 
John doesn't say that unbelievers are from the evil one as though the evil one is their creator. He's not saying that. Every human being has been created by God, that's for sure. God is the singular creator of all things. Unbelievers are not from the evil one, but they lie in the power of the evil one. In other words, they are in the control of the evil one. Most unbelievers that we know don't believe that. They don't see it, and they would deny it probably passionately if we said it to them. But it is true nonetheless. All who are living by faith in themselves are in rebellion against God, and they are doing the will of the evil one in this world. Period and end of story. Note that John does not say that they're resisting the evil one, but rather that they're lying in his power. They're just there passively in his power, doing his will, in his control. As I said, most not even aware. But the truth of the matter is that they're helpless, they're trapped, and they cannot get out of the trap that they're in unless God acts on their behalf. Now the knowledge of who we are in Christ and who the world is without Christ is designed to breed in us, I think, a spirit of humility and not a spirit of arrogance. It's designed to breed in us a compassionate heart toward unbelievers and not a judgmental heart toward unbelievers. Those who believe in Christ and have been freed by His blood do not think themselves better than unbelievers. We think of ourselves as objects of the incredible grace of God in Jesus Christ. Grace that we do not deserve. And far be it from us to lift ourselves up over unbelievers and think we're better than them. Far be it from us to be arrogant or hateful toward unbelievers. In fact, the heart of our Lord is just the opposite. Jesus came into this world to do what? To seek and to save the lost. And the more we know Him, the more we share in His heart, the more that becomes our hearts too. When you truly know God and you're truly walking with God, the fact that you are an object of His grace does not make you arrogant toward other people. It makes you humble. And it makes you willing to actually sacrifice everything you have so that somebody else can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So beloved, let us know what John says we know in verse 19, but let us be humble and let us be compassionate. Second question then, why does this matter? Since we know who we are, We know where our loyalty lies in this world. We know that our loyalty is to God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. There are a lot of people in this world that have no idea where their true loyalty is. They have no idea where their priorities ought to be. But it is an astounding gift that God has given to us that we fully know where our loyalty lies. We also know what our purpose in this world is. Our purpose is to follow the Lord and to glorify Him in this world. That is our life purpose. Lots of different details in this room. We have different kinds of jobs. We have different kinds of lives. But the one thing common to every believer is that we are here to bring glory to God by serving Him and proclaiming the gospel. This is our life purpose. How many people do you know are are deeply troubled inside because they honestly don't have any idea what life is about and what their life is about? Some of the most successful people in the world are some of the most disturbed people in the world because they've succeeded in their endeavors, and yet they found that they still don't know who they are or what their life is about. Beloved, please meditate on this. God has given us an astounding gift to know who we are and to know what our purpose is. And then the the third thing is we know what our destiny is. 
Since we know these things, we know our destiny. Our destiny is to know God and be with Him and be one with Him, both now and forevermore. We know our identity, we know our purpose, we know our destiny. Oh, beloved, this is a tremendous, tremendous gift from God, and I pray that we'll be grateful for it. On the other hand, since we know who the world is from God's perspective, then we don't need the world to define anything for us, and we don't allow them to do that. We all run into times where where we find ourselves letting that happen, particularly, I think, in our culture where media is so ubiquitous, it's just everywhere, there's so much noise in our lives, and the media is just screaming the things of the world at us, and we probably find ourselves actually listening to the world, but as I said earlier, the child of God cannot live that way for very long. Because inside something is just saying, don't listen to that witness. We know who the world is. They lie in the power of the evil one, so they're going to lie to us about God and everything else. They have no idea what they're talking about. We don't need them to define God for us. We don't need to define who they are. We don't need them to define who we are. We don't need them to define the nature of life. We don't need them to define anything. Without God, they're ignorant, and we know this. And I say to you again that this should not breed arrogance in our hearts, but great humility. I think of 1 Peter 4, where he said, before you knew Christ, you were lost in your ignorance too. We're one of them. The only only thing that makes us different from them is that God did something tremendously gracious for us when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. And that ought to make us humble and grateful, not arrogant and accusatory. We ought to love people in this world and preach the gospel to them even as we get clear that they are ignorant of reality and they lie in the power of the evil one. Period and end of story. Yesterday I was at Caribou for a little while working and there's some people there They're very nice, very friendly, always treat me well there but I was listening to their conversations and my heart was just breaking in pieces. Because I thought as nice as they are on the outside, they are just completely self-deceived and lost. And I prayed for ways to be able to speak to them, but that day there was just no opportunity. Maybe I should have just inserted myself, but it didn't feel right. But I want to tell you, my heart left there, not arrogant toward them, but just so much compassionate for them. I one day was exactly like them, and then God acted kindly toward me in Christ. So, beloved, we know who the world is. Stop listening to the world. You don't need them to define God or yourself or the world or life to you. Listen to your Savior. Let His voice be the most prominent voice in your lives. Let Him be the one that defines all things to you. So what about the third question then? If this is what we know, and if this is why it matters, then are we living by the light of what we know? Well, again... If you search your heart and answer yes, that you are living by the light of God's word, I have nothing new to say to you, but praise be to God and keep pressing on. Keep delighting in his word, keep depending upon him, surrendering to him, and keeping his word as he keeps you by his power and grace. Keep on keeping on. Let today's message just be fuel in your fire. If as a believer you've heard what John has to say in verse 19 and you have to honestly say no, that you're really not living by the light of these things, then here's my counsel for you. Here's my counsel for you. Set some time aside as soon as you can. Don't delay. Remove as many distractions as you can. I know that's hard in our day, but you can do this. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. Read 1 John from beginning to end. You can do it in very little time. 
If it helps you focus, one thing I've been doing this whole year in my reading plan is I've been listening to the Bible through my U, my U version app while I read it. It's been so amazing to me to listen to it and read it at the same time, and it's amazing how much time just flies, and after 10 minutes you realize you've read five, six, seven chapters and no, hardly any time has gone by. Whatever it takes to help you focus, do that. But here's what I'm really getting at. Read 1 John and pay careful attention to what it has to say about you, about your identity. We know who we are because God has revealed to us who we are. The Bible is filled with knowledge about who we are in Him, and we're supposed to think about this. Of course, God doesn't want us to be a bunch of self-obsessed people that think that He just exists to serve all of our needs on our terms. Of course that's not true. But that doesn't mean that we're never supposed to think about ourselves. God is trying to shape in us a proper vision of ourselves. So read 1 John, beloved. He has a lot to say about who we are as the people of God. Listen to what he says. Take it into your heart. Do this. I remember once when we were preaching through Ephesians, this whole point really landed on me, and I added a, a, a sermon into the Ephesians series that I didn't originally plan to preach, but I went back to the beginning and just showed everything in Ephesians that, that, that says something about who we are in Christ. Our Father wants us to know who we are. And if you're not living by the light of who you are in Christ, then read your Bible well. First John is a great small laboratory to let your Father teach you. You know, this morning, I was meditating on the fighter verse, James 1, 22 to 24, and there he says that the person who is a hearer of the word, like here today, you're sitting here hearing the word preached, but if you walk away and do nothing with it, you're like a person who looks intently at their, mirror, their face in a mirror, and then you walk away and you, you don't remember what you look like. And these were ancient people. They didn't live with as many mirrors as we live with, Right? They probably didn't see themselves too often, and when they did, they stared intently at themselves like, whoa, that's what I look like? For me, it'd be like, oh, man, whoo, God help everybody around me. <laughs> but you look intently, you walk away, and you're like, now, what, now wait a second, what was the shape of my hair? I don't remember. I can't remember. So he says, don't be like that. If you hear the word and don't do it, you're just like that. So then I thought about, well, what's he saying about the one who, who hears the word and does it? Well, we're like a person who looks into a mirror, a much better mirror, the mirror of the Word of God, and we get a fully orbed view from every side, a multi-angle view from every side of who we truly are in light of God, in light of our brothers and sisters in Christ, in light of the world, in light of creation. It, it doesn't create in us self-obsessed people, but it does create in us people who get an accurate perception of themselves. If you don't know who you are in Christ, beloved, look intently into the mirror of the Word and let your Father speak to you. I'm promising you that if you will take this seriously, getting a proper self-identity in Christ will profoundly affect your life. It will profoundly affect your fruitfulness in your life too. So please, please heed this counsel and do this. Read 1 John. Let your Father speak to you. If you don't believe in Jesus and so you're answering no to this question, that you're not living by the light of this knowledge, well, then I need to press the point upon you that you are living in the power of the evil one. This is what the Bible says. And we believe that the Bible is literally the words of God spoken through people. This is the truth about your life. 
You may not believe it, you may not feel it, you may not see it, but the truth is you're lying in the power of spiritual forces that are much greater than you, and unless you turn to God, you will not be able to get out of that trap, period. You will waste your entire life. You will live a fruitless life trying to live life on your terms. So that's the truth of the matter. The other truth of the matter is that if you will simply turn to Jesus Christ and say, not only have I heard that message, and not only has it stung a little bit, but I believe that it's true, and I want you more than I want the things of this world, if you will simply believe, he will forgive you today and embrace you into his family. He will do that right here and right now. When I came to faith in Christ, reading 1 John in October of 1986, I was struck to the heart by the truth of what it said about me as an unbeliever. When I realized who I was as an unbeliever, I turned to God and said, oh God, I thought I was good with you, but now I see that I'm in trouble. God, I want you in my life. Just like that, Jesus opened up his arms and embraced me into his family. And here I am, 33 years later, walking by grace. Not because of who I am, but because of who Jesus Christ is. And friend, I'm telling you today that if you will just believe, Jesus will forgive you and embrace you as his own. So with that, let's turn now to one more we know statement, verse 20. What else do we know? One more thing. John feels that this is crucial for us as we learn to live our lives in this world. And we know that the Son of God has come and, come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So what is it that we know? We know several things out of this one. This one's a little bit more complicated, but let me walk, this, walk you through this. We know that Jesus has come into the world in order to give us a proper understanding of God so that we might actually enter into a relationship with God. In verse 20, the word understanding refers to comprehending facts, comprehending truth. Jesus does want us to know truth. He wants to renew our minds for sure. But when he says that we might know God, that word know there in Greek is a more personal word. And what's being said here is that Jesus came to give us understanding of the truth that we might enter into the relational knowledge of God. He came to reveal things to us that we might know who God is and be in relationship with him. Let me put it to you this way. His mission is personal. He didn't come to just transact business with the world. He came in very personal terms to create relationships with people, individuals, and with his people at large. This is the mission of Christ into the world. This we know. He has a very personal mission to bring people into fellowship with God. Second thing we know is that it worked. It worked. Look at what John says. We are in him who is true, in his son Jesus Christ. In other words, he came that we might know God and know his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and for those of us who believed, it worked. You might say that many, many people in the world don't believe, and of course I would agree with you, but throughout the last two millennia of time, Jesus has brought countless believers to himself, and he will continue this work until the day he's pleased to bring this age to its appointed end. He will do this. He came and completed his Father's will on the cross, and he will succeed in his design to win worshipers for himself from every tribe, tongue, and nation on this earth. Jesus not only came to introduce us to God, but he succeeded in that mission. That's the second thing we know. His mission is not up in the air. 
There's really no question about whether it's going to work or not work. It has already worked and it's going to work all the way until the day when we see him face to face. This we know, beloved. And finally, the very last words of verse 20, we know who Jesus is. We know who he is. And not just in some sort of factual way, but in a personal heart-to-heart, mind-to-mind, soul-to-soul way. We who believe in Jesus know who he is. We know that he is the true God. He's not just some prophet or some teacher who came to influence the world. He's not just some egomaniac who sought to start a movement to exalt his name on the earth. We know that he is the true God and the creator of all things. And because he is the true God, we also know that he is eternal life. We know that he's not just one who came to deliver us a product called eternal life, but that he himself is eternal life. I've gone over this verse with you again and again and again, and I hope by repeating it, I will get you to the point of irritation so that you will never forget it. John 17, 3. This is eternal life, Jesus said to the Father, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's what eternal life is. It is the relational knowledge of God. This is what Jesus Christ came to accomplish. This is what he has and is accomplishing. And this is why knowing him means that we have eternal life. He is eternal life, so to be in him is to have eternal life. That's what we know, beloved. That's what we know about who he is. That's what we know about what he's on this earth to do. That's what we know about the end of his purposes on this earth. It's going to succeed all the way to the day when we see him face to face. So then why does this matter in our lives? What effect does it have on the lives of believers? Well, here's just a handful of things. Frankly, I thought of so many things for this point, I thought it would not be helpful for, you to, for me to give you 20 ways this affects our lives, but here's a few. This knowledge matters because it helps us understand the purposes and promises of God in the world, that they're personal and not impersonal. He came to introduce people to himself. This knowledge matters because when we understand that the mission of Jesus in the world is successful, we'll be free to play our part in this mission without stress or without burden. How many missionaries have gone out there into the world and been freed from the pressure of having to win whole cultures to Christ when they realize that they're just a part in God's global plan and they're just a part in what he's doing in the place where he sent them. They don't have to make it happen. They just have to play their part. God is going to succeed in his mission. And oh, the relief that comes, whether you're in Ethiopia or Romania or a caribou here in Elk River. What relief comes when you realize that you have a part to play? but you don't have to make things happen. I think yesterday, as I think about it, when I was at that caribou, my part was exactly the part I ended up playing just by God's grace, not even by my conscious effort here, but my part, I think, was to pray for those people that I really do care about. They serve me every week, they're very kind to me every week, and my heart is broken for them. At least on that particular day, my heart was to pray. Oh, how free is my heart that I don't have to make them be Christians. God is going to succeed at his purposes, beloved, and if we'll know that, we will be free. This knowledge matters, the knowledge of who Jesus really is, because it inspires the true worship of the true God in our lives. It really does. If you know that he's the true God, hopefully he'll be the only one that you worship in your life. If you know that he is eternal life, you'll prioritize knowing him over every single other thing in your life. That's why this matters. It is incredibly freeing and incredibly focusing that we know what we know from verse 20. 
So then, finally, and once more, are we living by what we know? And again, if you're just in a great season of life with the Lord right now and your answer is yes, that you're living in the light of the knowledge of who Jesus is and what he's doing in the world, then praise be to God and keep pressing on. Delight your heart in his word, keep trusting in him, surrendering to him, depending upon him alone, and keeping his word by his power and grace, even as he keeps you. If you have searched your heart and you have to answer no, that you're not living by the light of these things in your life, and you're realizing that, maybe even as I speak, then I want to ask you again to set time aside and read 1 John from beginning to end, and just pay careful attention to what God has to say about who Jesus is, about what Jesus came to do, and about what Jesus is doing. Let God shape your mind with regard to the identity of Jesus, the purposes of Jesus, and frankly, the success of Jesus in the world. Let him shape your mind. Don't let your flesh shape your mind. Don't let your world, the world shape your mind. Open up the word of God and let your father bring you into his world and teach you how he thinks about all these sorts of things. And again, if you don't believe in Christ and therefore you answer no, then all I have really left to say to you is that I pray that you'll gain understanding today of who Jesus is. I don't know what you think about Jesus. Before I was a believer, I thought very little about Jesus because I didn't know anything about him. I've told many of you before that I didn't even know Christmas and Easter were about Jesus until I was a believer. And every holiday that came along, I was like, this, this is about Jesus too? It's like, the 4th of July, is that about Jesus? I mean, is everything about Jesus? It was shocking to me. I knew nothing about him except I watched this movie, Jesus Christ Superstar, when I was a kid with my family. That's my entire world of knowledge about Jesus. And if you're old enough to know what I'm talking about, you ought to be horrified that that was my picture of Jesus. Not a great picture of Jesus. I knew nothing about him. I knew nothing. But by his grace, I know a little something now. And if you'll simply turn and realize he is the true God and eternal life, that's who he is. And if you'll just turn, he will embrace you. And I pray, I really, with all my heart, I pray that you'll do that today. What we know determines how we live. This is how God has created the world. Transformation begins with persuasion. Life change begins with mind change. So, those who believe in Jesus, we don't live by how we feel, but we live by what we know. Those who know Jesus don't live by what the world or the devil has to say. We live by what God has said decisively through our Lord Jesus Christ. For this reason, John has brought his letter to a close in this way, giving us three we know statements. So now my final question is, how are we going to remember all this stuff and what are we going to do with it? And I have a very simple word for you this morning. Remembering is a result of rehearsing. Rehearsal is the key to remembrance. So two ways that you can remember everything we delighted in today. Number one is just to read the end of 1 John multiple times. Maybe read it once a day, every day this week. Another thing is I put, I believe it's a green insert in your bulletin that summarizes the things we know and why it, why it matters. I summarized the whole message there in your bulletin. You could just read that and rehearse it every day. Know that what you know about Christ is designed to shape a way of life in you. And join me in rehearsing so that we will remember. Let's pray. Father, thank you for clarifying key truths for us. Thank you so much for sending John to write the things that he wrote. Thank you so much for doing all that it took to preserve his little letter. It just amazes me that a little five-chapter letter was preserved for all these centuries of time. Thank you for bringing it to us in so 
graciously lavishing your word upon us, Lord. There are so many Bibles in this room, it's unbelievable. We're so grateful, Father, that you've given your word to us. We're so grateful that you've applied it to our lives through your spirit. And now, Father, that I've done what I can do to explain your word, I pray that you would help us by your spirit to apply it to life. Help us, Father, to be doers of your word and not hearers only, so deceiving ourselves. Help us, Father, to enter into the joy of living by the light of your word. You are keeping us, so help us now to keep your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.